Save it. Save it, yeah. For, for the podcast. Stop giving away your gold before we even started recording, for God's sake. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> twice a week. Twice. Twice. No, get on with it. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer SC. I'm Mesa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how you, dare I ask how you're doing? Existential, Musa. Existential. I'm very existential. <laughs> Recording a podcast just to feel something. <laughs> yep, that's what it is. This is an existential podcast. Actually, what percentage of men record podcasts just to feel something? Uh, 99%. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually quite literally howling into the void, isn't it? If you think about the it. The existential podcast quote has rocketed during lockdown. <laughs> the concept of a podcast, actually, it is howling into the void. Yeah, man, there's going to be, there's going to be a psychological study or uh, like a retrospective study in years gone by called the Existential COVID Podcast. <laughs> the only reason that we couldn't set one up is because we already had one. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> if the podcast had not exist, it would have been necessary to invent it. Yeah. So here like, we are. Yeah. We could have, I mean, maybe we, we're actually on episode 945 in another dimension. We just kind of went interstellar <laughs> on it. Just like, <laughs> I actually looked through the walls of each podcast in another dimension being like, no, 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 it's actually going to be fine. That take you're coming out with is going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I podcast, therefore I am. Yeah. I find yourself from another dimension. That's incredible. So actually, on this planet, games last three and a half days. <laughs> quantum. Do you know to be honest? There are some moments of the Manchester Derby when it felt like I was in the quantum realm. When I slipped yeah, out of yeah. all space and time. Yeah, when that game ended, I was actually 42. <laughs> <laughs> It was really bizarre. I, at half time, I actually, I swear, I swear, actually put on Star Wars A New Hope side by side in the second half. Yeah? Just, yeah, just to give me some, like, I said, I have to do something to give me some intent. I need something. So I just put on, I put Star Wars New side by side and the Manchester Derby just so I'd have some injection. And it kind of worked. It got me through, actually, because it gave me that. Just the noise, the intensity, and the drama. It worked. Let's do the Manchester Derby in a little bit. We're going to start with the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about Borussia Dortmund. Mm. Obviously, Lucien Favre lost his job on the weekend. Um, kind of surprising that they actually did it, but we'll touch on that anyway. And then we'll touch on a little bit of the rest of the Bundesliga. And then part two, we'll do the Madrid derby and round up the Premier League quick because it was kind of a pretty low-key weekend for the Premier League on yeah. the whole. On the whole, yeah. Uh, and then in part three, we'll do some Women's Super League and touch on the MLS Cup a little bit um, and any other business. But uh, some admin quickly. We're going to be doing a short bonus episode that will go up Tuesday morning, European time, where we'll be reflecting on the Champions League and Europa League draws. We're going to bolt it on to the end of this, but it started just a little bit after recording. So we're going we're gonna to put that up tomorrow. Yeah, don't forget, if you want to vote for us in an award that we probably won't win, please go to podbible.com and vote for us in the Sport and Leisure Podcast Award. We're up against some heavyweights. Very much like, you know, when they, they announced like, the Ballon d'Or long list? Mm. And there's always like 12 that are like, what? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's kind of like you go down the list, you're like, oh, Ramble, Totally Football Show. Yeah, I think there's a couple of other big ones on there. And then you're like, huh? Stadio? Do you know what it feels like? No, no, it feels like in, was that, was that, you know, in Helms, the Battle of Helms Deep, when there's, <laughs> there's children who have never fought and the arm is too big and they're like, yeah, and they basically just give the small kid like a saucepan. They're like, when the orc comes, just bang them on the head with that. I feel like that. Yeah, very much like joining a band and being given the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like you just do that on the, just, just count the ones and the threes. Yeah, exactly. We need to do. How hard could it be? <laughs> Any other admin? Obviously, ringer.com forward slash soccer. Yep, yep. Uh, my Jow Felix pieces, I'm going to hold off a little bit. You're, you're up this week. You're going to do something. Yeah, I'm looking at um, the end of this era, uh, the end of the five era. 
Yep, it'd be good. Righty's house. Me and Carl have done a swap, so I'm I'm with Righty this week, and then it'll be Carl and Jeanette, Carl and Jeanette next week. So that'll awesome. be up on Wednesday. Jeanette, uh, fresh from her boxing hosting oh, duties. Yeah, everyone is absolutely presenting it off that podcast. She's presenting and just you're all killing it. Talk about the triangle player of Righty's house. That's me right there. You're killing it. What are you talking about? You are. You're Phil but Jackson. In a good way. Not Phil, a good way. You even look like Phil Jackson. <laughs> in a good way. You've actually got Phil Jackson energy to be What, because of the moustache? And the Zen oh, stuff. Because the Zen, a bit like... There's, there's a bit of Zen stuff going on as well. I am way like, shorter than Phil Jackson, though. Everyone is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, basically like a, I'm basically like a Phil Jackson bobblehead. <laughs> <laughs> no, but technically we all are. I mean, Phil Jackson's like the, world, the world's tallest coach ever, pretty much, isn't he? Yeah, he's a very, very long man. Mm, yeah, you've got some banging in the background. Yeah, yeah, I do. Some construction going on. Yeah, it's a bit industrial. So if you hear the odd uh, metallic gong sound, Moose is not starting an experimental noise band. Just <laughs> things haven't got that deep. An existential experimental noise band. The other table, the one, the one city where it's impossible to get any kind of quiet and at the time. I don't know if I mentioned this. I was at the World Cup in Rio in 2014. Really? Yeah, doing a documentary. I not mentioned this and doing a documentary and. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jim. That's a really good story, man. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I now can't think of any other admins, so if there is, apologies. Um, yep. Let's talk about some football in a minute. Cool. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. We've got some sad breaking news that we just want to touch on quickly before we move on because we're literally just reading this as we're recording that Gerard Julio sadly passed away. Age of 73 in Paris. Yeah, um, another heart surgery very recently, I think, and has had a history of heart problems. Really sad news. We wanted to mention it, but it's a little bit too instant to form an accurate reaction to this. What I would just say about it is, um, for me, Julio, you know, obviously as a Manchester United fan, he was someone who kind of restored that, helped restore that winning identity to Liverpool. He helped to put them back on that big stage, you know, winning those three trophies in 2001. gave an incredible energy, yeah. I think, to the city. Before and- including the Super Cup, eh? Yeah, right. And exactly. Just going to all those big occasions and coming back with the silverware, it gets you in your rhythm again. I mean, those are obviously, very, I mean, the Alaves finals, <laughs> so superb game yeah. um, in particular. Um, so there were some great games along the run. And, you know, of course, as a football fan, first and foremost, I'm a United fan, but I will always be first and foremost a football fan. And it was so clear to see that he galvanized and laid foundations. You know, we, we, often, t- we often finish we often look at coaches and we, we appraise them in terms of, oh, they've won this and that. But we often forget to look at the coaches who set the platform for them. Yeah. And he was absolutely someone who not only won, but from whom so many great things for modern Liverpool actually flowed. Yeah. Because European, I think you reminded them who they were. You reminded them who they were, I think. Uh, European title, as you mentioned, with, with the UEFA Cup at Liverpool, league titles with PSG and two with, with Lyon. And um, and also like an intellectual of the game, like on the technical committee for FIFA. Yeah. I mean, like just, and for anyone that ever have a moment, 
always read the technical reports after yeah. the major tournaments. They're just an absolute wealth of information. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thoughts with his family and friends and another sad footballing loss. But yeah, like we say, we've literally just read this right now. So, yeah, we're going to move on to some football. Dortmund have done it. They've, uh, they have relieved Lucien Favre from his duties as Borussia Dortmund head coach. They have, um, they have. It comes in the wake of Stuttgart's very impressive yeah. 5-1 victory yeah. over Dortmund at the Stadion. However, Dortmund's third straight home league defeat for the first time in, I think, five years? Goodness. It's a strange one, right? It's a strange one because I think a lot of people have expressed dismay over the past year or so that Lucien Favre hasn't been fired. Yeah, yeah. Which I've always felt a little bit harsh. I can understand why, but also I think the first thing to point out is that Fatska and Zork love Favre. Yes. And it's really important to put into context the job that he has actually done at Borussia Dortmund because a lot of people think that he's not done a good job there. Now, there's a couple of things. Yes, he's not won a trophy, but the only other Borussia Dortmund manager that has the points per game tally that he had was Thomas Tuchel. And obviously Tuchel and Favre had a much more condensed reign than say someone like Klopp. Yeah. But he wasn't a failure by any means at Dortmund. I think, and I think that Lewis Ambrose wrote a really good thread about this and I'd, I'd reposted it. But I think it's really, really important to remember the context of or the, the, the conditions that where he came into Dortmund. Dortmund were a mess when Lucien Favre came in. They were still very much in the hangover of Jurgen Klopp that had kind of been initially tempered a little bit with Thomas Tuchel. Right. Tuchel bounced, obviously, with a fallout. And then they had the season of the two Peters, which was a real... Me- well, I mean, obviously before that as well, they had the, the incident with the bomb yeah. for the Champions League yeah, and yeah. the Monaco game. I think a lot of people maybe underestimate how much that shook the club yeah. um, and the players. I mean, it was a really, really intense... There was some guy who literally tried to blow up the entire Borussia Dortmund squad before a football match in the modern era. And then had to play the next day. And then had to play the next day, yeah. yeah. You know, obviously then Peter Bosch came in and was fired before Christmas. Peter Struger, who had just been sacked by Cologne a few days before, took over till the end of the season. And actually, to be fair to him, did an okay job. So there was a lot that Favre had to settle. And I think he did so pretty well. I think he's a popular guy. I think that's why. I think a lot of people outside of the football club, and especially I think a lot of people who may be a casual watchers of the Bundesliga, may not understand actually how popular Lucien Favre was and is still. Yeah, I think yeah. this was a really hard decision for Zork and Vatska and one that I think is probably made a little bit easier by the... I think we might have said it on the podcast actually that if they were going to do it, they were going to do it. Yeah. This was the season that he would do it because his contract's up at the end of the season therefore the financial burden on Dortmund isn't so big. Mm, yeah. But yeah. Favre is someone who has played... His teams always play glorious football. I thought it was really interesting in my WhatsApp group um, when the news broke, the football team I play for here in, well, that I'm part of here in uh, Berlin. The first sort of reactions were just the sadness mm-hmm. because Favre's associated with a certain brand of football and giving young players a chance. And the next thing, which is really striking, which I feel like I should post in my piece, was the next thing that a friend of mine posted, German friends, says German sort of people from the West, Frankfurt and Bielefeld, Second thing they did was post a league table of income of clubs. And they mm. were like, look at the gap between Dortmund and Bayern. Look at the resources. Look what, Dort- look, look what Bayern can drop. And someone said it best. He goes, the thing is the Bayern, Bayern get the AAA players and Dortmund don't. And if you look at like that league decider when Kimmich floats that one in and you just look at like how close Favre took it, like he, Yes, Dortmund imploded at key points, but I think that the kind of the challenges in the Dortmund squad, which will become clear under the new manager, they do go bigger than Favre. Like, if you look at that squad and the composition of it, it's not a well-balanced squad. Um, And I know that Favre made mistakes, but there are problems there that go far beyond him. And I, I think he could, it's one of those ones where I think he did, I think there's three elements to it, I feel. I feel like he did a fantastic job in many ways. And overall, his reign was a success, I would say overall. I would also say there was room for improvement in a couple of key areas. But thirdly as well, 
like some of that improvement was beyond what he could coach. I don't think there's any real one singular aspect to why Dortmund did or didn't win a trophy under Lucien Favre. Yeah. I think it's important to realise that Dortmund aren't a small club by any means. No, They're no. a massive football club. Yeah. The problem that, and I've, wrote, I've written this for The Ringer before, how they kind of exist in their own little um, ecosystem within the Bundesliga where they're not Bayern's level in terms of super club status, but they're not a Gladbach. No, they're not. No. You know, they're very much in this level on their own in terms of size, um, finance. And actually, they are a lot closer to Bayern than people think they are. They aren't some plucky underdogs. Dortmund. No, no, no. However, um, the things that they have to do, they have to, there, there's no room for waste. No. They have no. to absolutely maximise everything at their disposal, whereas Bayern can underperform and still eke out championships. Yes. Um, and I think that the problem under Favre for Dortmund is that they kind of became very, very Goldilocksy. Everything had to be just right for them to execute consistently. Right, yeah. And if any one of those things wasn't there, the drop-off was quite severe. From a stylistic point of view, the Klopp hangover never went away. And partly that was down to Vatska, the CEO of Dortmund, who basically has constantly come out and kind of like pined after the Klopp era or Jurgen Klopp himself. And I don't think that's really helped. And I think that at a club like Dortmund, in a city like Dortmund, which has a very kind of specific history, you know, when you have a, a club that dominates a city where industry once did, I think um, a connection between that club and City via a manager is really, really important. Yes, yes. And I think one thing that Favre didn't do, and it's just not his style, I don't think, but he, dev- he never really super forged that connection in the way that like Klopp did. Like Klopp and Tuchel were very much an extension of the kind of Tribuna in a way. That mm. kind of energy. They, 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 they um, were kind of managerial metaphors for the Westfalen. Do you know what I mean? Very you, no, that's what you need to be. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah you're right. Like yeah. Very impassioned, very intense, very kind of um, outspoken, very, they could be very loud. And Favre's kind of more of the opposite, very much at the Wenger School of Management. Jonathan Harding actually wrote a, a tweet that was kind of, kind of summing that up a lot better than I have, that I think that if he, that Favre, Favre's tone and, um, I'm kind of paraphrasing what Jonathan said here, but very much like how, Father's tone, you know, because he never really set press conferences alight. He could be quite a tough listen sometimes. That might have resulted in people downgrading him a little bit in terms of the actual job he was doing. Which means that now, the ne- I mean, I actually tweeted this, like the next, the next hire for Dortmund is so important because they got close with Lucien Favre. Yeah. And, um, you know, Edin Terzic is in charge until the end of the season, which is... I think an interesting announcement for me, first of all, I would say that the names flying around straight away, I think, throw them out the window because you don't really know what no. what Matska and Zork are thinking at any point. You know, I'm not pretending to be an ITK or anything like that, but I know for a fact that they were talking about extended Favre not too long ago. Mm. That's the thing about football clubs. I think they, just, they, they can change in a matter of weeks from one school of thought to another very, very severely. Like there was no real noise about Favre two or three weeks ago. Basically, the next hire is super important. I don't really have a clue who that will be. I don't have a clue that would be either. And I think a thing that's really important for listeners to realise is it's a real challenge getting elite German-speaking coaches. You know, especially a club where this connection is important, you talk about and you're completely right. It's very hard to forge that kind of connection in any context, especially as a community-based club like German ones where you don't speak German. And so a lot of the names that we would like on paper that are fanciful in terms of the football, the cultural fit is a really understated part of that. It's huge, actually. In terms of who it could possibly be, so I don't think Marco Rosa will leave Gladbach mid-season for a start. But with Dortmund announcing that Terzic is there till the end of the season, he could potentially be a, a candidate. I'm not so sure that that is a smart move for either, actually. I, it's too close. Like I, I was saying before, like this isn't a small football club. No, it's huge. Yeah. This yeah. isn't a club that is too small for Pochettino. Put it that way. Right. And even though I know, you know, it seems like a bit more of a, an, another project for Poch, he came out and said explicitly he's 
it's the perfect club and the perfect project that he is waiting for. Now for Pochettino, I genuinely think that there aren't many football clubs in Europe who can give Poch the size, the status, the players and the environment to succeed. Right, I agree. And I think Dortmund are one of them. Because if you think about what Poch really struggled with was kind of influence for, or pressure from above. Yeah. Now, I actually think that the fit between Poch, Vatska and Dortmund, and in terms of the connection between him and, and uh, the fan base, I actually think is a, is a really, really perfect, mit, um, perfect match. They're also one of the few Bundesliga clubs who could afford him. And I think actually Dortmund is a way better match for Poch than someone like Bayern or PSG or Real Madrid. Because oh, I, those I agree. Clubs, it's, just the, it's just the language, I think. It's just the language. I yeah, think. it's the language. But yeah. however, we, you know, you never know like what the language is. I mean, when he, when he came to Southampton, his English was poor. Yeah, true, true. So I'm not saying that Poch is a, is a leading candidate by any means. I know they've thought about him. I just think that the people saying that like, nah, Poch would never go to Dortmund, I think is a little bit disrespectful because you're not dealing with a small mid-table club here you're dealing with you're dealing with the club that has the biggest average attendance in Europe this right. isn't a small football club and it's not too small for Pochettino Borussia Dortmund isn't small too small for any manager actually and I think that saying so isn't an accurate depiction of, of what Dortmund are or what the Bundesliga is to be honest another potential is Nagelsmann at the end of the season however do you know who I th- who I wouldn't be surprised Dortmund if Dortmund went after uh, Ten Hag oh okay because Okay. Okay. I, no, I see that. Okay. Go on. Go on. Do you see I what see, I mean? Yeah. No, I see that. I like that I mean, a lot. Actually, I like Dortmund. That a lot. Have, you know, Dortmund have had Dutch managers before, and they've kind yeah. of. And I also think that Ten Hag's stock has kind of fallen over the last season and a half from where it was when Ajax made that run. Yes. I think a jump from someone like Ajax to Barcelona for Ten Hag is a little bit too severe. However, I think Ten Hag and Dortmund is not a bad fit. There are obviously going to be parallels there with when they hired Peter Bosch. Yes. And I wonder whether that might cloud their judgment a little bit, but I think that Ten Hag is a different manager. He's a younger manager. Does he get you over the line though? Do you know what it is? Here's the thing. Well, this, is, yeah, the this, is, this is a good Does question. The gap between... but, ha- but how many managers are available who do close the gap? Yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. Nagelsmann I mean, look, maybe. We said this before. We said this before. I mean, I think Nagelsmann, I don't know anything about what's going on Nagelsmann sort of he's really enjoying Leipzig and he's coaching the hell out of Leipzig. And you look mm. what he's done in a short time. He had to deal with a lot of changes there. The way he's um, incorporated Julian Clivert and the combinations between him and other players. I, I just think he's, his work is unfinished business there. But who, mm. who knows? Who knows in the Bundesliga? All I, I mean, would say is... Yeah, I mean, I also, like, uh, Nagelsmann's got another two seasons left on his contract, so it's going to be expensive to break. There'll be a day when Nagelsmann goes and does a really, really big job, but I'm not quite sure it's yet. I, I, I'd love Poch at Dortmund. We said this before, I think, many times. Uh, Dortmund or Atleti for Poch should be my favourites. But in the absence of that, I think Ten Hag's a really great shout, Ryan. But they need to recruit Dortmund. They need to recruit. They do, but also I think that they have bought quite well over the last couple of years. I think there have been a few misses, but I think that, um, you know, they've bought some good players, Dortmund. Everyone was after Erling Haaland. They got him. Julian Brandt was very, very highly rated. They got him. Axel Witzel was a big signing for them. Manchester United were after Jude Bellingham. Dortmund got him. Torgan Hazard yeah. was lighting it up for Gladbach. And they got I'm, him. I'm actually not talking no. about big money. I'm actually talking about recruitment in the kind of post-30 range. I actually don't think it's, I don't think it's a huge amount of money, Ryan. I think like it's more like... experienced heads kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's mm. that. I, th- I think it's your, your players that come... If I, like I said this before, if I was an agent looking at Dortmund now, I'd be like, look, I've got a couple of players who are like, 31, 32, they wouldn't expect more than an average of 20 minutes a game, but they can come in and actually fit in and kind of just close. Dortmund signed two or three closers. That's the thing. It's not a huge outlet. Does that make sense? Just, just looking at the defeat to Stuttgart, I was just thinking, because Stuttgart, shout out to them, amazing performance. Yeah, we'll get onto Stuttgart in a little bit. But, but in relation to how they were exposed, just watching the senior players in that squad, and there was, it's quite poignant, I know, I know Hummels is not the quickest anymore, but just quite poignant to see him exposed a couple of times, caught in situations, caught in foot races, caught in desperate breaks back and just thinking, yeah, here's the thing, a well-run back line is not getting exposed to this extent. And maybe that sounds harsh, but I just look at the composition of like the squad and like, I think it just needs a couple more closers, Ryan. And maybe even just to push those players to a bit, to an extent. I think there's an aggression lacking in Borussia Dortmund. And I think that that's something that has also increased the potential tension between 
fan base and father and squad because they were known for this kind of high intensity under Klopp and, and Tuchel. They've never really pressed under Lucien Favre. It was a club that was famed for pressing in the early 2000s, uh, in the early 2010s. And when they became everyone's kind of like darlings under Klopp, they were known for this like ferocious yes. pressing. And um, they never really did that under Favre. That wasn't really his vibe. I don't think Borussia Dortmund have a stylistic DNA, but I think that there's definitely an energy there that they like to portray. Being an energetic kind of front foot football team is something that they want to do. And to be fair, they've, they have done that under Favre. There was the, the classical win at home a couple of seasons ago when they were a goal down. They were absolutely electric. Obviously, we'll see what happens for Dortmund because they have... Tezic's first game will be away at Werder Bremen this weekend, which will be one of t- three games that it'll have before the shortened winter break of a fortnight. There are worse places to start, to be honest. I mean, Bremen away, Union away, Oof, and then Eintracht nice. Braunschweig in the Pokal away before Christmas. They're the three games that he's got. So he hasn't got a single home game, which actually for him might not be a bad thing because their form has been patchy at home. We've gone on quite a long time about Dortmund and their existential hire. <laughs> We're however long in and we haven't talked about the game. Um, but <laughs> we'll keep this brief because I think the gist yeah. of the game is that even though Stuttgart came up this season, this is a vastly improved Stuttgart to the side that went down. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we were, t- we were told to give a shout out to Thomas Hitzelsberger. Someone tweeted at us and was like, can you give him his props? And like, yeah, well, absolutely. But you know, when Stuttgart went down, um, and they lost in the playoff to Union. Mm. And they really had a rebuild to do and they've come back with a vengeance. They really did their homework and they've got multiple attacking threats. You know, one thing that they often lack when they come up the clubs and the Bundes, understandably, is the firepower. So we saw Paderborn, poor Paderborn. Yeah. Sold their two best attacking players and they were basically like screwed because all their great moves, great passing moves, which were fantastic, is founded in the final third. And Stuttgart have looked at that and been like, no, if we're going to go down, it's not going to be a want of attacking quality. Well, they went and got Sven Mislintat from Arsenal yeah. and Sven has signed really, really well for Stuttgart. But maybe this for Mislintat was his, uh, his Sampdoria. His Sampdoria. Yeah. Move. Oh yeah. But also maybe the, maybe the relationship with Thomas Hitzelsberger might have just been that good. He's a really good sporting director. But Sven's doing a really good job. Like he's signing really well. He's, you know, the scouting and the recruitment has been really, really good. They are a good football team, Stuttgart. That doesn't yeah. mean that Dortmund should be losing 5-1 at home to a newly promoted side, but this isn't any normal... They're not clowns. No. And, you know, but they it would, are... A nice landing for him after a well-organised club, a nice landing after Arsenal. Well, yeah, maybe that's it. You know, you go from the kind of two, two relative pressure cookers of Dortmund and, and Arsenal to going off the grid a little bit. I think for him, you know, maybe he needed a project. The win for Stuttgart was big and... They're seventh in the table now, two points behind Borussia Dortmund, level on points with Union, who got a point at home to Bayern. Super impressive. Very should have won, actually. Point. They should, should have, have won. They should have. They took the lead very early on. I, I thought Bayern would win mm. with a couple of goals to spare. But Union really did their homework. And, I mean, Awani should have scored. He did all the hard work. After they were going to goal up, he did all the hard work. A spectacular skill then hits his, 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 his shot just wide of the far post mm. and you see them all going like oh like 2-0 then I, I do think Union going to win that mm. and it's weirdly but it's weird because they ended with a point and might be slightly disappointed not hugely because it's a point against Bayern in the context of their season Urs Fischer continues to work wonders and he did oh. it without without Max Cruiser yeah I know party Max wasn't there <laughs> Elsewhere, Gladbach drew one all with Hertha. Good point oh, Hertha, actually. shout out to Grindosi. <laughs> Big goal. Got a beauty. He got a scored an abs- weird celebration. Hasn't scored in a while, you can tell. Like, this isn't yeah, a yeah, man yeah. That he's not used to it, yeah. It's not a man that scores often. Leipzig beat Bremen 2-0. Light work. Freiburg Light work. beat Bielefeld 2-0. Wolfsburg beat Eintracht Frankfurt on Friday night. 2-1. <laughs> oh, there's a couple of catfish, <laughs> potential catfish potential catfishery going on there. Bayer Leverkusen continue to impress. They beat Hoffenheim 4-1 on Sunday, which took them top by a point over Bayern. They are, then Wolfsburg again with this weird thing. Bayer Leverkusen and Wolfsburg are the two, only two undefeated sides in the Bundesliga this season. 
Schalke were so close to winning a game against Augsburg. Devastating. Devastating. They were so close. 93rd minute equaliser for Augsburg, who were down to 10 men, by the way. Uh, Marco Richter equalised to break Schalke hearts and their run goes on. They're now five games off Tasmania's all-time Bundesliga winless streak. Horrifying. And I actually tweeted about this. I said, the sooner this run ends, the better, because Schalke really, really don't want this record, but Tasmania really, really want to keep it. They <laughs> love that record. Like, Tasmania love that record. They love the fact that they have this record. It's a massive part of their identity. Uh, in Berlin, now a kind of um, a, an amateur club who I've actually played against. Oh, wow. We played against them. Yeah, they were in our league uh, a few seasons ago. I think they're second team. Are they um, over in, they're over past the... Um... Oh, way out west, Messinord, isn't it? Mm. Way out there. Yeah, I've I've, um, I've, I've been there. They've, they've had uh, the drinks. They've got like a cabin. <laughs> they've got a, a pub, which is basically a porter cabin next to the train station. <laughs> it's quite, um, fun. quite fun. The only game that they've won has been a Pokal game against Schweinfurt. Um, however, for Schalke, they do have. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. They do have some win- winnable games coming up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Shaka fans. You just heard, you just, I just know, heard the kiss I'm, of death. That you heard the kiss go. of death. I sorry, saw someone tweet. Jonathan the, the Harding are be tweeted. are more angry about that, Tasmanian Jonathan, fans. Jonathan, up, Jonathan Harding tweeted. He tweeted, oh, they're two to one up with a few minutes to go. <laughs> no, it was Jonathan's fault. People jinx that result, definitely. I, I do believe that Twitter mm. can affect yeah. the outcome of games so they have Freiburg at home and they have Arminia Bielefeld at home before their final game before Christmas in the Pokal the Bielefeld game is the one I think that they'll be targeting and it's uh, the good thing is that this week in the Bundesliga it's an English evoker so we've got midweek midweek games yep yep uh, so we'll probably cover some of those on Thursday who knows we might be here saying that Schalke have won a game oh my god and now because I emergency, said that, emergency podcast emergency uh, podcast yeah. let's take a break this episode is brought to you by State Farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong but these are the words you really need to remember like a good neighbor State Farm is there they've got options to fit your unique insurance needs meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need have coverage options to protect the things you value most File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, let's do the Madrid derby. Yes. Ooh. (laughs) So Atleti were not good in the first half at all. They weren't that good in the second half, to be honest. But they were better. (laughs) They were. Well, yeah, but that's starting from a low base. I mean, this is the worst thing. They just look rattled. They just. Well, I don't know if it's rat, that's fair, but here's the thing I always come back to. In a chaotic season, it's like in a storm, right? In a storm, the trees with the deepest roots are least likely to fly away, right? Wow. And it's like you're a a poet. Thank you. And in the chaos of current football, COVID and everything else, what do you look to? Trees with the deepest roots. And the Real starting 11, I, I looked at this the other day and I was like, we have completely normalised how weird it is that this Real team is so deep in experience in big games. Mm. There is just a muscle memory that goes on with this team. Um, and I compared it on Twitter to those Sunday league teams that have been playing together for like 10 years and the lineup's always the same and they're always in the top two in the league. Always, right? Just because everyone knows exactly what everyone's doing. They're technically competent. They know what they're doing. This Real team started eight players, had at least three Champions Leagues, and most of those eight had four. Like, and in a big game, in a one-off match, the competitive instincts just ramp right up and no one cares how it gets done. No mm. one cares how the victory looks. And it's so fitting that the goal scorers were Casemiro and Oblak own goal after a Carvajal drive because th- there's a thing about Benzema. Benzema is someone who loves scoring goals, right? But I think there's a thing about Benzema where he loves not scoring goals. Mm. I think Benzema is a strange forward who he genuinely loves the graft. And the whole thing with Real Madrid is this whole thing. They've got this mythical thing of players 
who are millionaires, but have a working class work ethic, who really sweat. That's their thing with Real. That's why certain players, they warm to and certain players they don't. They want someone to absolutely bust the gut for them. And the amount of conspicuous toil in this match, the hyper intensity of, you know, if, it's funny when you look at Real Madrid's Instagram, uh, the players, the Instagram of the individual players, and the amount to which their leading players emphasize their workout routines. You know, like some mm-hmm. players post different pictures. It's so funny how physical the Instagrams of Benzema and Ramos as well. It's like, we're going to work you into the ground. And it's grim to think that it's harsh judgment, but Real outworked Atleti, which is something you don't, I mean, this is, this Atleti is a slightly different one. It's a hybrid, it's more entertaining, it's more, but the, the sharpness, the intensity, it, to watch Joao Felix go off frustrated because he couldn't find space and couldn't get his rhythm. And so much is asked of him in that system. And Rail were like, we're going to make you work. We're going to frustrate you. We're going to close gaps. And they did it. They were brutal. You know, Atleti were not good in the first half, but Rail also, they unsettled them. Mm-hmm. They really, Joao Felix at certain points, it was a bit like, it was like watching someone trying to cross a motorway at a certain point. And he finds a gap of space and he's just in the gap. And then all of a sudden, there's a juggernaut going in either direction. He's just there. Okay, he's waiting. He's looking. He's looking. And then does he step? The juggernaut's still going. And then who's moving for him? And, you know, Thomas Lamar, unfortunately. Oh, that miss, man. He was on an upward. He's, you know, he's just one game. But there are moments where your career, it's a sliding doors moment. There are moments when you finish that, everything changes for you. And it did. That was a big, big chance. And that was at 1 0, right? Yeah, it was big, big. Because I think if Atleti had escaped that game with a point, that would have been like a win for them. Yes, agreed. But I think there's an energy in these games which is very much like, it kind of reminds me of the classic sometimes where there's a bit of elder sibling, younger sibling yes. energy. Yes. Where it's kind of a bit like, no matter what form either side are on, Real Madrid have the ability to, just to kind of put, you know, put them in their place a little bit. Yes. Which sounds a little bit disrespectful and I don't mean that. There's nothing like a, a, an underperforming Real Madrid side to just like stop an Atleti charge. It's just the most textbook thing. Um, and for Atleti to just massively underperform in a game that, I don't know, there's maybe a, still an element of fear factor there. It's psychological. There's a moment, yeah. one, there was a huge power move in the second half, a huge power move where you have Ramos receive possession and surge forward and... Cruz drops back into the centre-back position. So they swap and Ramos steps into midfield for an extended period. And I was like, ah. Mm. That, it was almost like that, that's where the leader is. That, that's who mm. the leader is. And Ramos absolutely did it in the, he did it in the Classico, did it again at the weekend mm. where he just takes charge. And yeah. he galvanises. He's the electromagnet in that team. He's there, he's on and everything just like Chan, and to a lesser extent, of course, but not that much lesser. Benzema as well, only because Benzema is so far forward, he can't orchestrate to the same extent. But this was really where the core showed up. And when Casemiro scored his first goal, and there's a really revealing moment when Casemiro scores his first goal, and you see the players jog over him to celebrate, mm. and the names on the back of those shirts. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was it. That, that, that's the defining image. When you see and you see them all, you're like, "It's what's the same thing yeah. with the Gladbach game, didn't you? It's just like that kind of you look yes. around and it's just." It's experience and it's, it's rep and I wouldn't say icons, but there are a couple of icons in that squad. There are. Yeah, Ryan, it's like, it's like when you're climbing a mountain, it's like, it's like when you're at altitude, you're like, okay, this is our, our altitude, our atmosphere. This is, this is our rules now. Like mm-hmm. this game is of a certain altitude and rail, rail decide, okay, this is, this is what we do. Mm. It's a different energy, a different atmosphere surrounding these games, even though the stadium is, you know, you know vastly underpopulated because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even though that, even though they're in a different, you know, stadium actually is, there's a certain big match energy. And it'd be really nice to talk about this with, with Ian actually at some point on, on Whitey's house. The big, the big match yeah. and the feel. We talked about FA Cups, you know, don't get me wrong, the finals, but the European nights, the way in which certain players take responsibility or take charge mm. in ways that they don't in normal games, because I think there is a difference. You know, there is a slight difference. I mean, like, like, for example, the Ramos stepping forward into midfield thing. Things that wouldn't necessarily happen in a kind of more regular league outing. This is like, 
the conversations about this, the conversations prior to this game is like, this is a defining game mm. where we get ourselves back on track. And if you look at Real this year, when they've been called upon and they've been up against it to win defining games, they've generally responded, which is why they're still so dangerous actually in this, in this division. Yeah, it just gives Atleti a little bit less wiggle room when they really should have more. Yeah, agreed. And they're only, uh, I mean, they've got a game in hand, but they're only now three points ahead of Real. You know, they win the game in hand. They still go three points clear with a game in hand over Real Sociedad, but this is the thing, like, Real Madrid are closer than they probably should be at this stage of the season. And uh, yeah. Simeone looked a little bit shell-shocked at the end of the game when the second goal went in. I think Jan Oblak was really unlucky though because Jan Oblak made a couple of unbelievable saves in this game. That first one that he saved from Benzema to push onto the post was frankly otherworldly. Yeah. And um, he actually did really well on the Danny Carvajal goal to, to cover to, to get across that yeah. much space. Yeah, yeah. And then for it to bounce off the post and hit him on the back and go in. I mean, a Jan Oblak own goal in a Madrid derby, you know, that's really unlucky for him. Elsewhere in La Liga, a Lionel Messi goal from open play. Yes. I mean, they made hard work. They made hard work at that Barca. Yeah, but Levante can be a right pain in the ass sometimes for some people. Yeah, they can. Like, you know, especially, to be honest, anyone can be a pain in the ass for Barca at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say. But um, up into the top half of the table. That is unutterably bleak as a sentence. Do you know what? As an Arsenal fan, though, I'd take it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Real Sociedad drew one all with Eibar at home. Mm. I mean, Sociedad probably should have won, but Eibar closed pretty well. So fair balance, yeah, fair balance. Uh, anything else you want to touch on in La Liga before we move to the Premier League? No, I'm good, I'm good. I would like to start with Everton. Ah, interesting. 1-0 win over Chelsea. I mean, I don't have much to say about this game. The thing that really annoys me about the Premier League, I mean, I want to big up Everton because it's a good win for them. Just when you thought they were they were in a fresh out of uh, the catfish of the year, they couldn't pull it out of the bag, man. They're like, I think Stadios have been announced. They were like, Stadios have been announced. Stadios have been announced. We're not winning this again. We're not winning this again, lads. They weren't. They're not. They've not been in my thinking at all for catfish of the I year. I know. They've not Me been neither. at all in my thinking. Yeah, yeah. They've been. They've been strong. Chelsea, on the other hand, no. Oh. <laughs> I wish, I wish that Catfish of the Year, no, actually, no, I don't wish that the individuals were allowed because that's mean. It's much more fun catfishing a collective. <laughs> Catfish collective. <laughs> what do you call a, what's the plural of catfish? I mean, it'd be a school of catfish, wouldn't it? <laughs> school of catfish. School of catfish sounds like a TV show that you would host. <laughs> With a quickness. Look, I love Stadio, but if someone gave me a TV show called The School of Catfish. I'd be all over that in a second. Hi, everybody. It's Friday night. I'm Musa Akonga. This is BBC One. You know what that means. It's time for The School <laughs> of Catfish. <laughs> 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 and everyone's just like, oh my God, I love this show. I, was, I thought I was going to be really angry when they binned off Graham Norton, but actually this is so much better. School of Catfish. <laughs> that is... Oh gosh, I'd pay good money to... School of Catfish. I'd pay to host that. Um, but Everton, it's a great win for them. <laughs> no, I would, I would. I'd pay to play, pay I'm to play. Pay to play. Pay to play. Um, the Premier League was weird this weekend though, <clears throat> in the sense that, was it just me or was it mega dry? To the point where, this is the thing that I really... Someone actually said, "Is Ryan? I can't. Sorry, I missed. I can't remember who tweeted at me about this, but saying um, is Ryan still zen about Arsenal?" And yeah, I am actually because it's just better that way. Well, you know what's one more emotional scar? <laughs> it it was dry, but the, I think it was dry because it was on the verge of something. If Leeds had held on, it'd be a great win against West Ham. Mm. They're, they're struggling from open play, actually, Leeds. They need another goal scorer and their defence is not good. And then you had Fulham and the Liverpool. The, the penalty that Liverpool got against Fulham, frankly, is, I thought was horrible. Really? Well, yeah, like I get why it was given, of course. I have to confess that this was probably the game that I caught the least of in the Premier League. I loved this game. I loved it because Adam Ola-Lukman, ever since his bluff penalty in the last minute, gets West Ham. He's been on a mission. He has, and he's been brilliant. Mm. And their combination play was superb. I want to shout out, actually, Curtis Jones, each time I've seen him, has been outstanding. Mm. 
and he was great again against Fulham. And some will say, oh no, it's just Fulham. But actually, no, Fulham had some fans in there. They made it intense. They really wanted this, um, they really wanted these three points. They're trying to claw it back. And credit to Scott Parker, he's got them playing some really, really good stuff, really enterprising, entertaining stuff. And they were brave. They went at Liverpool. Ditch the tie clip. That's why. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes these things get too much attention. Bad juju. It, it is though, because when, <laughs> when things get too much... <laughs> the tie clip was cursed. Scott Parker and the cursed tie clip. That's, that's like, it sounds like a kid's novel. It's like a few... <laughs> why don't you do that next for Scholastic? Oh my my next book, Musa Gwanga's next book for Scholastic is going to be The Tale of Scott Parker and the Cursed Tie Clip. Dude, when I start putting magic realism in football. Now. They're going to charge and end up the Europa League and it was all the tie clip. It's like Indiana Jones and the Cursed Tie Clip. Um, yeah, the, the reason it was dry is because there were several games that were on the verge of something really exciting. Um, and if those results had gone a certain way, then yeah, like if Leeds had got their points. Mm. If Fulham had got their three points, my gosh, of course, the driest of all was the Manchester derby. Oh, what a letdown. This was a bad game. And I said, maybe the most important thing about this game was a fixture that did not, that didn't take place on this weekend. It was a 6-1. I wonder how much that 6-1 defeat to Spurs at home is affecting United at different points. And I'm not saying that Solskjaer goes into games thinking about it, but when it comes towards the end of a game, just going, you know, get point, shut up shop. Because United were, they were a little bit enterprising early on. They did make an effort. But City's lack of, put it this way, if someone said to you before mm. the game that perhaps the highlight of the game would be Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you'd be like, oh, he put in a great defensive performance because the result was nil-nil. No, actually, defensively, he wasn't necessarily outstanding. His overlapping play, his attacking, the way he got forward was really quite, quite impressive. Mm. And that was good. But then the problem with, with, with United was for, for a team who've got people who are so good at like long passing and switching, their final ball and their switched pass in the final third was really poor, actually. Very, very often we saw particularly right to left direction. United just telegraphing passes and just being swallowed up by centre-backs. Mm. Um, and it was disappointing. It was like almost the middle third away United were most impressive. And that was kind of it. That was really the main highlight of what United did was their build-up into the final third, and then they kind of lost it. Mm. And that was the ball game, as they say in the US. That was the ball game. I'm not going to lie, I, did, I, did, I didn't enjoy this game at all. No, I mean, I, I don't think anyone did. I don't think anyone did. Did not enjoy it. I mean, do we have to even like deconstruct it further? Um, it's, a, it's a big world out there and there's so many lovely things going on in it. And yeah, I mean, well, let's, let's, let's start with some positives. So positives, Villa beating Wolves 1-0 at Molyneux. Southampton beating Sheffield United 3-0. Ralph and Southampton continue to impress and are looking good this season. Really, really good. Leicester back on track. 3-0 win over Brighton. So impressive. Oh, yes, that was clean. When Leicester are on, when Madison and Vardy are on, like, yeah. they're so clean, they're so clinical. Yeah, so Newcastle scraping through against West Brom as well. Like the, Huge win for them. The table is really, really weird. I mean, Leicester, Leicester are third, Southampton are fourth now. They, they leapfrog Chelsea after that win. They've got Arsenal in midweek. Oh, goodness. Which, um, if I'm being honest, Musa, I could do without. Arsenal are now on a run of... Four defeats and a draw in their last five in the Premier League and are five points above the relegation zone. Thankfully, I do think that there are at least four teams that are worse than Arsenal this season in the Premier League. I agree. Yeah. The records continue to tumble, as it were, with Arsenal. I think this is what Burnley's first win at Arsenal since the 70s. Um, definitely their first win in the Premier League era in the league. And it's hard to say that Burnley didn't deserve it. Arsenal were okay first half, I thought. They weren't dreadful, as dreadful as they have been, but they, <laughs> the bar is low. But this is kind of it. This is where we're at. And I, I, do you know what? I think I would actually, that something that summed up my thoughts perfectly is probably Amy Lawrence's piece for The Athletic today. Oh, that's superb. Yeah, you flagged that to me. It's excellent. It's excellent. My zen is being tested a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah, I can't blame you. 
But I think the thing that Amy Lawrence nailed in her piece was just how confusing and shocking the implosion has been in such a short space of time and why that is. I will just encourage you to go and, go and read Amy's piece about it because it, it touches on you know, young players impressing in the Europa League, not getting a chance in the league as much. You know, we're, Arsenal are massively lacking goals at the moment and chance creation and yet you have the kids, as they say, doing pretty well in Europa League against, yes, lower quality opposition. But still, I think that it can be quite hard for morale if um, you're impressed in certain games and then there isn't a path into a first team which is struggling massively. So, Also, would that first team, would this first team really be blowing teams away in the Europa League? Would it be doing the same things to that opposition? I don't think so. I don't think, exactly. I don't think so. Yeah, Amy says this and I agree with her that, you know, the persisting with underperforming senior players is something that is quite problematic. However, we could be sat here on Thursday after Arsenal have absolutely demolished Southampton 4-0 and be like, we know nothing. Very true. Yeah, yeah. I know what's more likely to happen though, and it ain't that. Oh, goodness. Before we go to the Women's Super League and wrap up on the MLS Cup, there's a couple of massive results in Ligue 1 this weekend. Oh, yes. PSG losing at home to Lyon. Another Whoa. beat for Thomas Tuchel, who is under pressure. And a Neymar injury as well. Which means that after 14 games of a Liga season, PSG are third in the table in 2020. Uh, Lille are top. The win for Lyon took them second in the league. But yeah, big win for Lyon. Yeah, yeah. Massive, massive win for Leon. And, uh, ooh, oh, Tuchel oh, and PSG is looking like it's heading for not a particularly fun ending. It's a weird one at PSG. It's the defence, though. Like, and it's not an excuse because they've got the resources. So, actually, PSG are one of the few clubs in the world that have no excuses for underperformance ever. They just really don't. Like, if you have that amount of money, you should lose once a season with the amount of money they have. Mm. Kimpembe with an awful pass that led to Leon's winner but they're just they're so strange they're so disjointed they lack intensity and like I said the only thing that really makes me truly happy about PSG this year is Moise Kane just finding his feet confusing football club PSG very confusing very confusing um, shouts to Lille though beat Bordeaux 2-1 at home without Renato Sanchez big for them talk about a renaissance Oh, a nice French word for a nice French team. Well, yes, Look, I contain, I contain oh, multitudes. I wish, I wish you could all see how smug this guy's face was right here. Little <laughs> Uka, Musa Smogwonga. Musa, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, try to squeeze that in as Smugsa. Uh, well, I can't do it. <laughs> Whenever the screenshot gets taken for Righty's house, I've always got the most smug expression on my face. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Well, I was really <laughs> one day I'm going to get Catfish of the Year aren't I oh you're, you're the honorary Catfish of the Year <laughs> non-executive Catfish of the Year <laughs> never up for re-election never oh, re-election on lifetime president just give it Musa to the end of the season <laughs> yeah just really nice to see there being a bit of variety and maybe Hassam Awa feeling slightly more vindicated staying there like, given that the league is interesting now, given that Lyon could really do something this year, or they're doing something already. So they're, second, they're, they're joint, joint top, uh, second on goal difference. Mm. And maybe there was a kind of sense with Lyon of like, we know you're going to move on, but let's give this one last hurrah. Maybe they saw something we didn't. Maybe their strong Champions League run and their sense that PSG were maybe flagging, not as terrifying as old. They were like, we could get a league out of this. I'd be really interested to see if the agents and the players got together and just like, we win a title here. We've been building, because they are kind of building towards something, aren't they, Leon? And I was surprised by how resilient they were in the Champions League. You know, when City went at them and they withheld, I thought, oh, you've, you've mm. got something. You've got something really good here. So let's see how it plays out. League is heating up, man. It really is. Well, uh, Monaco as well on the weekend. So it was some some big results in in league games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marseille kind of needed that 
Oh, especially after the Champions League. Yeah. Mm. They needed something to kind of centre them again. The thing about Marseille, though, is that their league form and their Champions League form has been completely different. Like, if they win their two games in hand, Marseille, who are over... They played... I think they play Nice and they play Lens at their games in hand. Right. If they win them, they go four points clear. But we forget how psychological the Champions League is. Yeah, but this you is know, in terms of, like, for them, it's yeah. so impressive to kind of bounce back like that because... Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the thing about this league our season. Like, it shows how poorly PSG managed the summer transition from a lot of that old guard moving out because, and we've touched on this a million times before, we don't need to go into it again, but like from being one and the rest, it's now... But PSG are only two points ahead of Montpellier and three points clear of Monaco. This is wild. This is like a, I mean... Apart from Leon not being miles ahead, this is kind of like a mid 2000s league table. And this is a moment when, yeah, that's a great shout. And there's also, there's a moment when PSG will try to like put the foot on the accelerator. Mm. And I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't, people aren't afraid anymore. Mm. Liga this season kind of feels like. Um, it's like when the supply teacher comes in. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's, yeah. Really? Like, oh, that's so funny. Is, the, yeah. Yeah, that's exa- literally exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> that's so funny. They see we're connected, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yeah, the supply oh, teacher. <laughs> what a menacing sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have someone on, uh, I posted the thing, another Mandalorian gif because, uh, meme relating to football because there's just so many of them every week. Yeah. But someone said, uh, does that make Moose a Mando? If, I, if I'm Grogo. And I was just like, kind of sums up our friendship quite well, actually. Just you're constantly like, Ryan, what are you doing? And I'm just, you turn around, I've just like thrown up on myself. <laughs> <laughs> Moose is just trying to keep me alive, basically. That's our entire friendship. <laughs> Moose is out here doing deals with people, and I'm just like, meh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and every so often, I just call you, go, like, Ryan. Just to look up and see your reaction, and I burst out laughing. And yes. I'm actually way older than I, than I look. Way <laughs> older than I look. That's true, actually. That's true. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, um, be funny. Let's go to the Women's Super League. Oh, this was interesting. It was interesting. Um, let's start with Man City Arsenal 2 1 to Manchester City. Last minute winner from Caroline Weir. Good goal. Really, really good goal. I mean- yeah, that's what she does, isn't it? Whilst in theory, you know, if you just kind of looked at the, the play out of the game in the 90th minute, Caroline Weir goal, you might say, oh, that sounds like it was unlucky. It kind of wasn't unlucky. I think Manchester City actually deserved to win the game. Tight. Is, is it harsh to say that Arsenal have maybe not been the best in the tightest games? Yeah, yeah, I in agree. In the last year, yeah. I would say. Well, Joe Montemore after the game, I think, um, mentioned something about their indiscipline and how it's costing them points. I agree with him. It's not the first time that this is this has happened. They did it against Chelsea not long after going ahead in a really tight game, and then could have lost the game if Sam Kerr had if Sam Kerr's finishing had been more on point. Arsenal only had one shot on target, and that was Viv Miedemar's goal in the what third minute. And it wasn't from it wasn't like a constructed move either. She was no. kind of foraging for it. Yeah, uh, it was a good it was a good goal. Don't get me wrong. It was a, it was a little yeah, was a element of element of angry in there. Yeah, oh, the celebration as well. Oh my gosh. Like she'd received a tax bill. I think City deserved it. I think Arsenal's defending was quite poor for, well, for both goals, actually. I think the marking from the Samuels corner was not great, but I also think that the way that they stood off Manchester City right at the very end to let Caroline Weir get a shot away from there, I think was quite knowing, poor. Knowing what she's capable of from yeah. distance. That's the thing. Yeah, it's yeah. knowing, I mean, she's delivered from there several times before. Mm. And the form she's been in too in the last, the last, sort of the last couple of weeks as well really quite impressive yeah um, and Samuel is impressive again she has been actually each time I've seen her play one of the signings she's been season I think oh my Samuel. god and the speed at which she's hit the ground running Manchester City after their really really ropey start to the season are now just a point behind Arsenal and they're scoring late winners they're grinding this is really yeah. impressive actually from them I mean for Arsenal it's troubling because even though three sides go through to the Champions League this year for the first time they're still in the Champions League spot but they've dropped four points behind Manchester United now and they're a point behind Chelsea who've got a game in hand. It's not good for Arsenal. I mean, there's nothing massively existential about losing away to Manchester City. Right. But I think in the way that it happened, yeah, Manchester City probably deserved it over the balance of play, especially massively outshooting Arsenal. 
But still, when you get to that late in the game and you've held on to a point, I think it's really disappointing to, to concede a goal like that right at the end. And that's, yeah. that's something that Arsenal really need to focus on because those are going to be, this is a tight league this year. And whilst it can change very quickly, those little points, it's not so much winning the points for yourself, it's taking them off your direct rivals. So they had a bad start, so you kind of want to keep them at bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Manchester United won again and remained top of the league. They're legit. Still undefeated this season. They're truly legit. They are truly legit. I mean, you would expect them to beat Reading, although Reading are a good side. And Reading did push them, actually. Yeah. Hayley Ladd with the winner in the last last 10 minutes. minutes, Yeah. Yeah. Another good win for Manchester United. They remain top. Chelsea can go level on points with a with a game yeah. in because if they they do have a game in hand, Sam yeah. Sam Kerr man, she's going in locked in, locked in looking yeah, locked she in. seems to have got over that wobble, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, but the movement was always there, but it was just the kind of the finishing wasn't quite in sync. But now mm. she's on that too. Uh, maybe a huge credit to um, Br- uh, Brighton their opponents in this that Chelsea took so many shots from distance in this game. Like mm. maybe that's a credit to like how well they absorb pressure. Um, but they've been quite tough to break down actually this year, Brighton. Mm. Just a good win for Chelsea, business-like. I suppose just very quickly, Frauen Bundesliga. Yeah. Yeah, just very quickly. The, the one notable result here was Bayern struggling. Well, not struggling. I mean, they, they, they still got 100% record. They only had a 1-0 win. I think it was over Eintracht, which was the only really notable thing. And shout out to Jasmine Schreimler, who said that Lena Oberdorf in a few years from now will be the best footballer in the world. And she scored twice in a 5-1 win with Wolfsburg. And that, that's interesting because Oberdorf, one of the few sort of really high points, I mean, say it's a few high points, Wolfsburg is second in the Frauen Bundesliga, but um, Oberdorf has slotted in immediately and has taken a leadership role, which is wild, actually. Yeah. She's leading, she's like the sort of one of the creative hubs of that team. Mm. I want to shout out Hoffenheim, 7-0 win over Duisburg. It was a big win because Turbina had snuck past Essen the day before but the top of that table is looking really good in the Frauen because also they get three with the expansion of the Champions League next season there's going to be three German sides going in which is super fun I think for the Frauen Bundesliga because it means you're going to get probably one of Turbina or Hoffenheim into the Champions League Hoffenheim are there at the moment on goal difference Turbina have a game in hand so it could be really really interesting to see Turbina one of the heavyweights of German women's football past heavyweights kind of returning back to the Champions League would be amazing I think for Lee a year into the within the first season after their partnership with Hertha so especially with the sort of women's game in a bit of flux in terms of like Leon perhaps coming to mm. the end of a period of dominance and with the women's Super League just ascending in quality mm. it's a really exciting time for German teams to get back up in the mix I think mm. I think the Women's Champions League next season with the expansion is going to be really interesting. Definitely. All right, so before we go, let's talk about the MLS Cup. Yeah, this is funny. So I was actually up for this and it hasn't up that evening. And my uncle, shout out to my uncle over in Seattle. My uncle Ben gave me a call and he was like, oh, like, we're really excited about this game. I mean, they've had a bit of joy in this Seattle Sounders. They've had some joy in the last sort of four years. They won it twice, I think 2016, 2019. Mm-hmm. So they were used to being at this stage, but Columbus basically blew them away. Um, and they hit them well. They hit them early. Lucas Zellerayan was outstanding. And the funny thing about this game was, I saw a lot of conversation on Twitter about people calling me, oh, they say the MLS is boring, but it's not. And I was like, actually, the boring is the one word I would not use to describe the MLS. Mm. It really, really, you know, it wasn't. And you do have like, you know, some outstanding players in that, in that league. And I just, I feel like sometimes... I don't know if it's the time zones or the fact they've got other major sports. They feel the MLS didn't get its full shine, but the performance that Lucas Zellerayan put in in that final is as good, as accomplished as anything. I mean, this was like great early goal, cross or pass, brings it down, lashes in the corner. His assist was even better. The second, uh, I think by Etienne, the way he sort of controlled and laid off and Etienne with a kind of like Henri style finish, bending into the far corner. And then just when Seattle were trying to like gather something of their thoughts, crashes one in the top corner mm-hmm. to seal the game and just a complete attacking performance. You know, one thing I was a real shame for the time difference as well, because uh, Zellerayan came from Mexico where he had a lot of success in uh, the Liga MX and they have some stunning games in the Liga MX too. 
And it's a real shame the time zones don't always measure up with my sleeping patterns because we miss out on some real quality. But yeah, but shout out to Columbus. That's their second MLS Cup. Yeah, first in 12 years, right? Yeah, absolutely thrilled by that. So yeah, yeah, big shout for them. All right, man, should we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for Moose's piece this week. Maybe yep, yep. I'll have my Jal Felix piece up next week or next week. We'll see. And Righty's House is on Wednesday. Anything else? Oh, yeah. We are on all platforms. We are indeed. So if the podcast app of your choice allows you to rate and review the podcast, please do so. Preferably five stars because... It really helps to grow the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We are playing out this episode with Lookout by the Fakes. We hope everyone's doing safe and well. Stay warm. We're about to go into lockdown again. Full lockdown <laughs> on Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, alas, alas. Bet you can't wait to hear from us on Thursday. But uh, oh, we'll, be, we'll be back then. Take care, everyone. See you then. See ya. Run it forward, looking back, we see what you can see. Run it forward, looking back, we see what you can see. Run it forward, looking back, we see what you can see. Run it forward, looking back, we see what you can Now you've got away. They won't get you, they've not got you, now you've got away. They won't get you, they've not got you now.